What ships out often comes back. How to compete with industry disruptors. And look at the changing retail experience. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCV TV. Five channels of streaming video are yours for the viewing on DCV TV. Major improvements have been made to the DCV TV platform to enhance the viewing experience, provide greater search capabilities, and to expand the capacity of the video library well beyond the 3,000 plus videos already in the archive. Be sure to check it all out at dcvtv.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, remember all those holiday purchases made last month? Well, retailers are dealing with a mountain of returned items this month. To find out how they're coping, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? That's right, Dave. Uh, we're glad to have with us today uh, Tony Sharota, who's executive director of the Reverse Logistics Association, uh, which is an industry group that provides an online directory and other resources for activities like last mile returns, as opposed to those last mile deliveries we're also familiar with. Uh, welcome, Tony. Thanks for being here. Hello, Ben and, and Dave, and thank you very much. Uh, Tony, this has been a subject uh, that, that a lot of people, both in the industry and consumers at home, often don't think much about uh, until there's some uh, real floods and surges through the system, uh, which is typical of the holiday peak here. Uh, and particularly in 2020 and 2021, uh, in, in this winter season, we've seen a huge jump in e-commerce parcel returns, uh, thanks to the surge in online commerce during the pandemic, when we were all uh, staying at home and ordering online. Um, combined with the holiday peak, of course. Was that a surprise to retailers and parcel carriers, or could they see this one coming? Well, that's a great question because it, it's related to a lack of forecasting software in the industry. You hear about SAP and Oracle and all great systems like that. You don't hear anything about reverse logistics software, uh, forecasting, processing, etc. The reason it was a bit of a surprise, not complete surprise, but a bit of a surprise, is online returns are two to three to four times higher than in-store returns for simple reasons like, uh, Ben, if you're going to buy a shirt, uh, L.L. Bean size uh, 15, uh, uh, 34 is different than another brand. And so people do bracketing. They buy a size bigger, a size smaller, and maybe two sizes or two colors. And so suddenly you may have 10 items go out, two items kept, the rest go back. That's the surprise that some retailers did not understand was going to happen. And that's, that's a simple example. You also have issues of interoperability. The electronics product that you brought, you take it home, put it, or it comes to your house, uh, put it in your system and it doesn't connect, doesn't speak to the other products. Uh, so there's issues like that that drive returns higher as well. Uh, in the old days, all we had was the famous Super Bowl returns period. People would buy a big screen TV, use it for the Super Bowl, take it back to the store. That was an expensive period. But nowadays, uh, there there is this trend of high e-commerce sales with proportionately higher returns. Really interesting. I got to say, I, I uh, was not one of those who uh, who would do the, the big screen TV purchase for the Super Bowl for a short period, but I, I can understand it. 
Uh, aside from sheer volume, uh, were there other factors this year uh, that made this returns peak different from other years? Absolutely. There were, there were financial issues and there were quarantine issues. Uh, first off, returns are supposed to be limited in, in terms of maybe 30 days after the purchase. And you run a financial book run based on that. And now suddenly you've given them 90 or 120 days to return products. So you've got that liability on your books for a much longer time. That, that's driving the financial people, the CFO world, crazy. And then part two is if you took things back to a Walmart store or a Best Buy store or shipped it back, you had quarantine issues in the early days. Nobody knew where the virus would live. Clothing inside of a box for two days, it just wasn't known. And retailers in the brick and mortar were taking things back and putting them in a separate area, leaving them alone for a while. Um, it was not easy. And then it led to some returns being simply credited to the consumer, being told to keep it. And again, imagine the financial implications of that. So it's a very different returns peak this year because nobody really took all of those factors into account, especially the quarantining of the products. Yeah, for sure. I, I was familiar with some friends during, uh, as you say, the early days of the pandemic um, who would you know, treat their, their mail that way or, or their, their daily newspaper or something. They would leave it out for a couple of days before touching it. But it, it obviously makes sense on the, uh, the return side as well. So. Uh, well, then you mentioned some of the uh, constraints um, that, that we've been talking about here in terms of uh, contact in the early days. Uh, but how are companies handling reverse logistics flows uh, in this wild year? Um, you, you mentioned sometimes leaving the boxes out for a while before even touching them. Right, Ben. And and the, the picture I'll try to draw for you is not so much the boxes sitting in the corner. That was the first few months and pretty much not doing that anymore. The virus doesn't live on cardboard very easily. So that's a good thing, right? But imagine a truckload backing up to a warehouse where there's conveyor belts or belt lines and products are being put on these belts and they have to be open, looked at, inspected. Do they work? Can they be resold? Can they go back to stock at new as new? And that's a whole different discussion, right? About clothing with stains and what are the stains from? But we won't go quite there, but just imagine the flow where you used to have people literally standing next to each other and you could process hundreds of units per hour. Now you've had to cut out one half or more of the people to space them out. And that's the disaster in the reverse logistics side. You have to physically touch this stuff. You have to make a decision on it. It never comes back in the same box. So there were enough constraints already in the reverse logistics space. Imagine, for example, a ceiling fan, you buy it at uh, your local Home Depot or Lowe's store, and you take it home, you try to make it work, and it doesn't, do you ever put it back in the box with the blades in the right spot? No, it sticks out of the box, and that's exactly how it gets processed all the way down the line. So if that's a good visual, then think about now, instead of 10 people in a 12-foot space, you've got three people, and that's driving the, um, the, the logistics side of the flow uh, wild because it, it's just impossible to keep up with. Uh, so it, it, there's so many challenges. I hope I gave a couple of good examples for you there. Uh, great examples. And, and I think a lot of us uh, might be familiar with, with, with some of that, um, having just gone through a holiday season here where um, when, when you unbox something, when you open a gift, um, it's all, often very carefully uh, 
protected um, by, by, by foam rubber, by packaging, by void fill, um, and, and trying to get that, um, that toothpaste back in the tube um, can be difficult when you, uh, if, if you're trying to return any of that stuff. Oh, mattress in a box, then that would be the best example because of course they arrive in a box or a tube. And if you have any idea of the amount of pressure, the pressure that's being used to put them inside the box, and you think of yourself trying to exert that pressure, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's like 200 pounds per square inch kind of craziness. So, wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they don't go back in the box, Ben. No. Uh, and, and for a lot of those reasons, um, returns are known for being one of the most expensive parts of the e-commerce cycle. Uh, you know, last mile delivery gets a lot of attention, um, but for some of the reasons that you've been mentioning about um, retailers inspecting those return goods, um, maybe repairing them, maybe recycling them, repackaging, um, what steps are companies taking to control those costs? Not enough. Um, and, and the disaster area that happens within a company is the silos that exist. So not every organization understands the holistic end-to-end -end costs of reverse logistics. Shipping costs go to one area. Uh, repair costs go to another area. Reselling the costs at a loss goes to another area. So nobody really puts the costs completely together. Now, some companies are doing that saying it's costing more to take it back than to give credit and just give credit. But that's a nightmare because you're destroying brand equity by telling people just keep it and they throw it away, give it away, put it on eBay, put it on flea markets, et cetera. But nobody thinks about the highest upstream capability. Improve the customer experience, Ben. Make sure you tell people that what they're going to get is what they're going to get and try to exceed that experience. Now, Amazon and some other online retailers are very good at that. They deliver exactly when they say they're going to. The product is packaged safely in the box and it does what it says it's going to do. But when I worked at Philips and we did an, a survey of consumers, we found that 75% of the returns were being generated because people said it didn't do what I expected it to do. That's a customer experience issue discussion. On the return side, I was being blamed as a returns director for taking too many things back from retailers whose liberal returns policies were making it too easy. And then I got to fight back a little later with net promoter score and drivers like that to say, but you need the customer experience to be better. You need to give them an instruction book that they can read in English, not in 12 languages. You need pictures. You need to make it easier. You need the clothing to be the size it's supposed to be. And you need to show it on a model is a bad idea, period, uh, on the website. Don't show it on a model because when I get it at home, it never looks that good. So these are all customer experiences, right? Um, it's got nothing to do with whether it fits or not. It's, it's You showed it in green on the website. And when I got it, it was uh, more chartreuse than green. So these are customer experience steps that companies can take. But unfortunately, most of them are not doing it yet. So interesting. Um, and to some of that point, we've seen uh, retailers, as you mentioned, take some creative steps to woo those uh, those fickle shoppers, uh, like extending the return windows, like you mentioned, uh, you know, up to, from 30 up to 90 or 100 days. Um, also, I've noticed some trends uh, like partnering with storefronts, like a UPS store or a FedEx office, maybe to help um, make it easier uh, when they are shipped back. Um, but as we start to look at the vaccines and emerge from pandemic conditions, um, are any of those changes here to stay? Absolutely. Some of those changes are definitely here to stay. Uh, certainly those partnerships and 
again, we're using a lot of names here, but the Amazon partnership with Kohl's is brilliant. Uh, you go to the back of the store to drop the package off, they give you a coupon, and you look at it and you say, wow, I can get 40% off something today. Maybe I'll shop a little bit. That's a brilliant partnership, and that's definitely here to stay. Um, the longer windows, uh, that's a huge risk. And, and it's because in, in, even in the case of clothing or electronics, these things become dated really fast. In the apparel industry, you're returning winter clothing, and if you've got till June to return it and get your money back, it's a huge loss then to move winter clothing. And electronics, my God, those things change uh, capacity and, and, and versions every three weeks, it seems like sometimes. So you're taking products back, and that was a joke in the early 2000s with digital cameras. You'd buy one at retail with, well, let's call it two megapixel. Well, within three months, the 12 megapixel came in or something, and you take your old one back and change it. So those long windows are actually very dangerous for retailers to use, except that they're forced to, to be convenient and, and to be accommodating during the vaccine. So I hope the long windows go away, but I hope the convenience factor stays for those consumers. Uh, and, and again, you're right the creative steps that have been taken is unfortunately as simple as satisfaction guaranteed. And if you and if you live by that and you're an online retailer or a brick and mortar retailer, you take anything back anytime from anybody. Um, the last company that had satisfaction guaranteed as their slogan on the front door was called Sears. And so uh, I hope that that explains why uh, some of these steps that have been taken need to be really followed closely, Ben. Great example. Thank you. Uh, Tony, as we wrap up here, um, I, I know that the Reverse Logistics Association uh, offers some resources as well. Um, I, can you share with our listeners uh, just, just quickly uh, on a final point here where they might be able to find some of those? Absolutely. The website is www.rla.org. Yes, we're on that side of the world. We're an organization, uh, a nonprofit that's focused on providing answers and solutions. Our members are the retailers, manufacturers, and companies that offer solutions, but it's free to join the community. If you're involved in reverse logistics, join the community on the front page and simply uh, look at the resources that are available, especially under reverse logistics resources where there are free videos, white papers, podcasts, opportunities to hear from industry voices that give great advice. So thank you very much, Ben. It is rla.org, the website for all of your listeners. Thanks so much, Tony. We really appreciate your visiting with us today and uh, learned an enormous amount about this uh, sector. So I uh, appreciate your being here and, uh, and best wishes in the new year. Thank you very much, Ben. Thanks, Dave. Back to you. Thank you, Tony and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you reported this week on new Gartner research that disclosed ways to compete with industry disruptors. What did that report advise? Thanks, Dave. Yeah, so this week, as you say, Gartner released uh, research on how chief supply chain officers, or CSCOs, um, can help their companies better compete with industry disruptors. And those are, you know, the digital giants uh, we heard mentioned earlier, some of them Amazon, Alibaba, as well as other non-traditional startups that are sort of focused on e-commerce and last mile delivery, that kind of thing. So essentially, they say uh, CSCOs should focus on developing capabilities that put customers and innovation 
at the center of their business strategies. And they say this requires thinking more like the non-traditionals do, um, along with a blend of both traditional and new supply chain strategies that can help um, all companies really better serve uh, the needs of what they call modern customers. And um, Gartner surveyed more than 500 industry professionals for this report. You mentioned modern customers. What specifically should more retail companies do when it comes to supply chain? And what do they actually even mean by modern customers? Yeah, well, it's, so it's interesting. And um, modern customers are all of those who of us who want faster service and a steady flow of new products introduced without delays, you know, so, along with other things. And in terms of what CSEOs should do, uh, the research really is focused on, you know, sort of very high level strategic ideas. It's less tactical, but it's it's interesting, I think, for companies to consider. And it's a lot of information. I'll just condense it a little bit. And one point is that um, CSEOs should focus on strategies, as I said earlier, you know, to get closer to customers. And that includes, you know, better use and management of data. And also in acting, as I said, more like non-traditional companies and startups do in some ways. And one example of that is to sort of eliminate um, hierarchical structures and sort of tap into talent at all levels. And what I took away from this was that it means it can you can kind of promote more of a, they called it a, a culture of innovation, and that can lead to all kinds of new ideas, you know, for approaching everything from operations to new product development and customer service. So it's a pretty high level look at things, but it's really, I, I think, some interesting points to consider. Well, focusing on the customer is always a good thing. Thanks, Victoria. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're welcome. And Ben, you spent time this week attending sessions of the National Retail Federation's virtual conference, which is one of the nation's largest group of retailers, the NRF. What were some of the important issues that they discussed at this week's conference? That's right, Dave. And uh, like many conferences, of course, it looked a lot different this year uh, since we weren't all uh, jammed into the uh, Jacob Javits Center in uh, New York City this time around, uh, but we're online. Um, and a lot of the themes were the same as what we've been talking about earlier uh, in today's episode. Um, to Victoria's point about the Gartner study, it uh, looks like 2021 might really continue to be the year of, of the customer. We were talking about some of the extraordinary steps that retailers have taken to stay afloat during the pandemic, uh, continue to serve those customers, even when shoppers couldn't come into the stores anymore, or at least not in big numbers. Um, so that they, you know, talked about some really creative um, approaches, and we heard about some of them that might stick around. One study said that while uh, buyers had shifted a majority of their 2020 purchases to online platforms uh, in the past year, more than half of buyers expect to resume their pre-pandemic buying patterns when that's possible. Uh, and one reason is that about six in 10 have had a mixed or even bad experience with BOPUS, uh, the acronym for buy online, pick up in store. Uh, and others complained about a challenging returns process, which uh, rings true to earlier in the episode when we were talking to Tony Sharota. Uh, so those statistics had come from a survey done by Gray Orange, uh, which is a vendor making warehouse fulfillment tech. Uh, but another firm said that wherever consumers choose to do their shopping, whether it be at home or in the store, uh, the way in which they shop may have been changed forever by some of the technologies that shops and warehouses uh, have been using to stay open during the pandemic. Ben, did they give any details about how that shopping will be different in this new year? Uh, they did, and it all comes down to one word, smartphones. That's because uh, retailers uh, have needed a solution to some of the big pain points during the crisis, like scaling up in-store fulfillment. Um, the solution to that uh, is to build apps that run on their employees' personal smartphones. So instead of a business buying a whole fleet of handheld scanners and radios, uh, they, they instead will just use the devices that their employees are all carrying in their pockets already. So that requires less training, since all of us already know how to use our own phones. 
And it means that the employer doesn't have to clean down the unit between shifts, again, because it's your own phone and you're not handing it off to a colleague. Uh, that analysis came from a company called Scandit, which is a Swiss firm that makes data capture devices. Uh, and that trend also uh, applies actually to both shoppers and store workers, incidentally. Um, for example, the workers in the store, the, the associates as they're sometimes called, could scan an item on the shelf uh, and then fill a basket to fulfill online orders. Um, with the, they can then put that in a parcel locker or maybe carry it outside for curbside pickup. Um, and because that, that's a digital process, it doesn't matter if they're doing that on the store floor or even in a uh, fulfillment center, distribution center. Um, likewise, shoppers can actually follow a similar pattern. Uh, they can, if they're in the store, they can scan the item on the shelf with their phone and gain access to things like recommendations from other buyers, uh, product ratings, uh, even personal discounts, depending on their uh, shopping history. Um, and then they could use their own phones to scan uh, that, that image again at the cash register when they're done uh, for contactless shopping, which has also been increasingly important. Yeah, well, technology is making it so much easier for retailers to be able to serve their customers. I know, for instance, I placed my latest grocery order for pickup just last night. So it is a lot easier than it used to be. Yep, of course, it looks like some of it's here to stay. It'll be fascinating to keep uh, following this area. It will be fun to watch. We encourage our listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And also check out the podcast notes section if your platform allows for that where we have some direct links on some of the topics that we discussed today. So go there to check it all out. Thank you, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thank you, Dick. Yeah, thank you. And again, our thanks to Tony Sharoda of the Reverse Logistics Association for being with us today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. And we also encourage you to rate this podcast if your podcast platform allows for that. We do appreciate your feedback. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCV-TV. Be sure to check out the latest videos on dcvtv.com, the latest and best source of videos for the supply chain industry. Stop by often to see the latest uploads and go to dcvtv.com to view them. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Pandora, wherever you get your episodes of your podcast. We just ask you to search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. We'll be back again next week when our guest will be John Reinhart, the CEO of the Port of Virginia. We'll discuss the huge increases in volumes that America's ports are currently handling. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.